Good morning. Uh, as, as Chris said, we're going open air this morning um, because of, we've got some water that was seeping in. That was the reason. So uh, our kids are going to be dismissed for Children's Church now. I always forget that one. So they're going out that way. Uh, bye. <laughs> bye. My daughter is always so excited to leave when I start talking. I don't know. <laughs> if you're visiting with us this morning, that's not a terribly bad omen, hopefully. But, but they are excited to leave every Sunday. So... Um, <laughs> Thanks for laughing, Banner. Uh, so, so yeah, we're kind of having a little open air feel this morning, um, and reminded me of a story from a church I grew up with. Who I'm going to tell in just a second. But first, I want to say something real quick about this video. Uh, I wanted us to watch that video this morning. It's one that we've watched before on Sundays, but uh, I, I love the message of it, and it invites us to ask: Where do we see greatness among us? Where do we see the potential for greatness among us? And where do we see the work of God? among us. Um, We're going to start a series on the book of Jonah today, and if there's one major failure and flaw of Jonah, it is is that he is completely blind to the work of God outside of his small little circle. Um, And in the first chapter of Jonah that we're going to read today, three things are called great. None of them are Jonah. (laughs) Jonah is never presented as any type of great throughout the whole book. He is basically presented as a pretty terrible guy, Um, and we're going to get to that in in a little bit and why I think that is, Um, but that's going to kind of be an underlying question of where do we see the potential for greatness and the work of God, not only amongst us, but in the world and outside of our typical circles. So that's where we're going to kind of go this morning. Uh, We are going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Um, If you're not real sure where Jonah is, it's one of the what we call the minor prophets, which means it's really short. So if if you're just, you can kind of look around towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, go to Matthew if you need to, and then turn back to the left. But it's right after Obadiah if you end up there, right before Micah. So if you end up somewhere in that realm, uh, you're kind of in the right spot. Uh, But Jonah chapter 1 is where we're going to be in just a minute. But uh, so when we opened these doors this morning, like I said, it reminded me of a story. Uh, my dad, when I was a kid, preached at a, a real small church in central Texas, uh, in Aquila, Texas. It was a, a town of a little more than 100 people, and our church had about 20, 25 people in the church. Long before our family got there, uh, they worshiped for a long time in this building without air conditioning. Some of y'all may remember those days of, of not having air conditioning in, in buildings, And so in the summertime, it would get so hot that they would have to worship with the doors open. And this was back in the day when you had the communion table up front with the communion, you know, the the bread and and the juice sitting on the table through the whole service. And so flies started coming into the building, and they would land on the communion table. And so they just thought, for the sake of convenience, we'll get a white sheet and cover the communion table until it's time to take communion, Uh, And then when it's time to take communion, we'll take the white sheet off. Pretty simple. Uh, Very much a matter of convenience and fixing a problem. They did this for years. It became part of what this church did. Uh, And so one day, the church got air conditioning, which means you can close the doors and the windows, which means the flies don't get in, which means we don't need the white sheet over the communion table anymore. Uh, So the first Sunday, they had church with the doors closed uh, one of the, the men in the church, who was a young man at the time, he was an elder by the time we were there, went up before church and took the sheet off of the communion table at the beginning of worship. And one of the older gentlemen in church came up to him and said, what are you doing? You can't do that. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? 
He said that sheet represents the, the, the robe, the sheets that Christ was buried in. And when we take communion, we remove the sheets revealing the body of Christ that is risen um, after the crucifixion. We can't take that off. It's a vital part of communion. And the guy said, okay. <laughs> That's literally nowhere in Scripture. <laughs> you can't find anything that would make you think it is. But it was important to this guy. Um, I think that illustrates a couple of things. One, we tend to turn our traditions into scriptural truths. Uh, we tend to turn our experiences into the way the Bible is supposed to be read. And it's really hard to approach Scripture first and foremost and allow Scripture to pe- speak for Scripture without applying our cultural lens to it first. Because we are all shaped by our culture, by our experiences, by our upbringing. And that completely shapes the way that we read and approach Scripture. Um, it, it, completely approach, it completely impacted the way that Jonah approached God. Jonah had a very worldly earthly, nationalistic, even, if you will, view of God and his relationship to God and how he thought God should interact with the world and with people. Um, And I think another interesting and and kind of difficult thing for us as we come to Jonah is that you can look across scholarship, uh, across Christian history, and you will find all kinds of different interpretations and ways to read Jonah. Some consider it to be 100% factual and based on historical evidence and, and everything in it is completely factual as is. Uh, some read it more as allegory uh, or metaphor um, or parable. Um, many read it as somewhere in the middle that it's based on, on historical people and, and places and events, um, but maybe exaggerated in certain spots. It reads very much as satire, which gets into a kind of another conversation, especially in the Old Testament. There are many different types of writing. There's history, there's poetry, there's, there's wisdom, there's lament, uh, all different kinds of writing. And there are different interpretations of exactly what is Jonah, what type of writing is it. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of that is based on our upbringing and our experience and our culture of how we were taught Scripture and how we were taught to read Scripture. Um, we're going to come back to some of those bigger themes actually in another series later in the year. We're not going to spend a lot of time there with Jonah If you want to talk about some of that, you can come to our class. We may dive into some of that there. If you've got questions about it, you're welcome to ask me afterwards about what's some of the research underlying some of those different interpretations. But for the purposes of our series, I simply want to say this. What we know from the rest of Scripture is that Jonah was a real person and a real prophet uh, who prophesied uh, in the time of the divided kingdom uh, in part of the north kingdom, which we may get into a little bit. Uh, He is referenced by Jesus. Um, and he went, uh, he, he has talked about going to a real place. So there are factual uh, elements of this story, to be sure. But however it is that you read the story of Jonah, the message is the same. And however you read it, what there is no debate over is that this story had a tremendous impact on the Israelite people. And that this story carried tremendous meaning to the Hebrew people uh, for hundreds of years and still does today. Um, And so I think that's the important thing to realize. And so I don't want to turn anybody off by saying, hey, you know, what do you mean? This could mean this or this could mean this. Just that some of it is open to interpretation um, and and that's okay. And we can have discussions about that. But there's a central message to this story. And so kind of with that in mind, 
Uh, I also wanted to begin today, I had about five introductions to the sermon today, so instead of weeding any out, I just went with all of them, so just roll with it. Because <laughs> uh, I, I also thought it was appropriate today, uh, some of you may know, especially if you uh, are kind of a fan of, of modern Christian writers, um, that there's a very popular modern Christian writer by the name of Rachel Held Evans, who was very impactful to the faith of a lot of people, uh, who died yesterday at the age of 37. Um, and so left a, a, a huge uh, hole, and I know in a lot of people's um, hearts, souls, faith, um, maybe even that, that she was influential in, in the, uh, the exploration of faith for a lot of people, myself included. Um, and so I thought it was appropriate this morning to kind of begin with a couple of quotes from Rachel Held Evans that will get us into this series. Uh, so here's one of them, that Rachel Held Evans says this in one of her books, Uh, The church is not a group of people who believe all the same things. The church is a group of people caught up in the same story with Jesus at the center. Ultimately, I think that's what we're going to see in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah invites us to ask a lot of questions about the book itself and about ourselves. But ultimately, as we're going to see Jesus reference, we'll get to this on the last week, um, ultimately it points us to Jesus. Um, And that is the Christian story. That, that everything in Scripture is pointing us to Jesus and is to be viewed through the lens of Jesus. And you're even going to see as we go through the book, there are a lot of allusions uh, to the story of Jesus throughout this book that we'll kind of come back and touch on all of them on the fourth week. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second quote is this, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Uh, Jonah's pretty concerned with keeping some people out, <laughs> And God says, wait a minute, you kind of got it backwards. Uh, So that'll all lead us into where we're going to go this morning. Um, Some of you may have have heard or or been introduced to the story of Jonah as a kid uh, in children's ministry. And what I find really interesting about any time we talk about it with our kids is that any children's ministry version of Jonah I have ever seen ends with Jonah 3. There are four chapters to Jonah. (laughs) So here's how every children's ministry version of Jonah goes. Uh, Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh. He refuses. He runs the other way. He gets swallowed by a fish. He's like, all right, God, my bad. The fish vomits him up. He goes to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh repents. He saves the day. Everyone is good. Nineveh is saved. Jonah's a hero. End of story. But chapter 4 is very different. (laughs) And I get that we leave the end off of some of the, the Old Testament stories for our kids like you don't see, uh, I've, I've referenced this before, but you don't see any David and Goliath coloring pages for kid with, with David uh, carrying Goliath's severed head through village, you know? Like that's a part that we leave off of the story. Uh, we leave off the part of the story of, of Noah ending up naked and drunk in his tent after the flood. Uh, we leave off the part of the story, even with our kids, to get a little more serious of Abraham uh, tying up his son to kill him on an altar, right? There are just parts of stories that, We'll just wait for that for our kids. But I think Jonah, maybe more than any other, leaving off chapter 4 completely changes the message of the whole book. And if we ignore chapter 4, I think we miss what God is trying to communicate to us through the story of Jonah. Now, if you're like me and you grew grew up with Jonah, you also know that it's impossible to tell the story of Jonah without a flannel graph. And so if you've been with us, you know that luckily I have a large flannel graph board. And so Aiden and, and Jason are going to get my flannel graph board for me and bring it out because I couldn't tell the story of Jonah without a flannel graph. So they're going to do that. And um, 
We're going to tell the story of Jonah with some help from a flannel graph board this morning. While they're doing that, the title of today's sermon, I told you there are like five introductions. Um, the title of today's sermon was sort of, Who is Jonah? Uh, Zeke, you can hit that button and take that off there. That should fit down right in there. Yeah, there we go. Good. See this nice gray, gray, new gray cover it has there? Upgraded. If I was to ask you who Jonah is, or tell me something about Jonah, uh, I missed a slide, but that's okay. Um, If I was to ask you who is Jonah, or tell me something about Jonah, most people would start with something about the fish, right? He's the guy who was swallowed by the fish. Uh, That's what most, most, especially in in children's ministry versions, uh, that's the highlighted part. Uh, But if there's one message that I want us to get about the story of Jonah, uh, it is that it's not really about the fish, There's so much more to this story than just the fish. Uh, The fish is actually a small part of the story, uh, and there's a lot more going on there that we miss if we focus on the fish. So we're going to talk about the fish, the whale, however you choose to interpret that, uh, but we're going to talk a lot about other parts of the book as well. So Jonah chapter 1, we're going to actually get into it now, Uh, and I'm going to get my, uh, I don't have the the huge people this morning because our flannel graph this morning is going to function mostly as a map. So Jonah chapter 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, you, you may want to have your Bible out or your phone out as we go through this, because I'm going to pause several times as we go. We're going to go through the whole first chapter this morning, but we're going to pause uh, a few times as we go through this, because already we're, we're going to see one of the things that I love about the book of Jonah is that it is beautifully written and crafted. Um, it's a beautiful just piece of literature in and of itself. What we're going to see is chapters 1 and 2 basically exactly mirror chapters 3 and 4. They are almost exact parallels. Um, and, and in the beginning of this story, already we see some, some very clever uh, and important literary devices. Already, God tells Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And then it says, but Jonah rose, or Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. So God says, get up, I need you to go. So Jonah says, all right, I'm going to get up and go. You go this way. So this is, this is where Jonah starts. He goes down to this port here of Joppa, which is right about here. Oh, please stay. You stayed all week. See, this is what happens. All right. Uh, Jonah is from a little city right above Joppa, right about here. Um, He goes down to Joppa. Nineveh is over here. Uh, Now, this map is completely accurately to scale. So (laughs) just remember remember that. he tells uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is about 550 miles from Joppa to Nineveh. And so Jonah says, all right, that's cool. I'm going to head this way. <laughs> this is Tarshish, which is really hard to say and sound like you know what you're doing. Um, he heads to Tarshish. There's, there's some debate on exactly where this is, probably somewhere around Spain. This is an ocean right here, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Nineveh is basically where modern-day Mosul, Iraq is. 
Um, and this is the coast kind of very close to Jerusalem, basically, over here, if, if that kind of helps you since we're missing some of the rest of the map on our great flannel graph. Um, Tarshish is basically known in, in the Israelite uh, culture as the end of the earth. This is as far west as you could go is Tarshish. Um, so sometimes Tarshish is, is referring to an actual place, and sometimes it's just saying he went all the way to Timbuktu, as Dr. Seuss would say. <laughs> he went as far from Nineveh as he could. And the author of Jonah is very clear to tell us why. He's trying to flee the presence of the Lord, uh, which is an interesting concept that's going to come up uh, later in chapter 1 about the ridiculous of that nation. So remember, this is to scale, so our, our figurines are a little smaller today. Here's Jonah. Uh, and so <laughs> Jonah gets in a boat. Um, it's facing the wrong way, but it's turned around from the storm that's about to come, so that's okay. Um, Jonah gets in a boat in Tarshish. So we're going to pick up here then uh, in, uh, in chapter 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's another thing I want you to pay attention. Listen to how many times Jonah goes down somewhere in the next few verses. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Again, very clear why he's doing this. Uh, we know that he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. We don't yet know why he is fleeing the presence of the Lord. So those are important things. Uh, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Uh, so they get out here to sea. They're out here to sea a little bit. Here's our storm. This is when the boat gets turned around. And so we've got some lightning here, I think. Um, this is, if you're, if you're sitting up close, you get the benefit of, this is, this is why you should sit up close, so you can see the small flanagrass. <laughs> they get out to sea. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the shit, shit, <laughs> The ship. <laughs> Were you videoing that? Okay. Remember, the point of Jonah is that God loves everyone, <laughs> even preachers who cuss on accident. <laughs> I don't know where I was. Verse 4, okay. So that the ship threatened to break up. Shouldn't put those two words next to each other. Uh, so that the ship threatened to break up. Uh, again, I said some of Jonah reads kind of as satire. There are some things in Jonah that, that read very much as humor if you allow them to. This is one of them, that this ship threatened to break up. In other words, the ship's like, I've had enough, I'm out. Um, the ship considered that it would break up is another way some other versions say this. Uh, and so the, that's how strong this storm is. So we continue on. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, the same uh, imperative that God gives him, the captain now gives him. Arise, get up, do something. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, uh, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? They ask Jonah a lot of questions, all of which are identity questions, trying to get to this idea of who are you. you got to tell us more about who you are because it seems that we're going through all this because of you. So tell us more about who you are. And listen to Jonah's response. I am a Hebrew, for I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. We're going to come back to his response in a minute. But right now, just know that now the sailors are very angry at him. Because they say, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. All right, so now we've got some questions. If these men knew that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, why isn't there more clarity about whose fault this is? Uh, And I think we get some insight into that in how they handle the situation. That as this storm comes up, a storm that is so bad that the ship itself is like, I'm out, and that these sailors who make the longest known route there is are like, "We, we are not ready for this. This is scary to us. These are hardened sailors who are like, all right, we gotta figure something out. And so each of them starts calling out to their own God. And you see, as as Jonah describes himself, he says, I am a Hebrew and I serve God. I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. You see, gods at this time were were really viewed as kind of territorial, that each people, each area kind of had their own god or gods. Um, And so you may not even, you may think that there's validity to other people's god, uh, but everyone kind of serves and worships their own god. And what then kind of arose is that some of these people then thought that gods had kind of territorial jurisdiction almost that your God may have jurisdiction here over, or over this one area of life, but now we're out in the middle of the ocean. And so they're all like, all right, we just got to call out to our God. We don't know who's in charge here. Everyone do your thing, pray. We're just, you know, throwing up whatever we can. And so Jonah comes out and he says, oh, by the way, I serve Yahweh who created the sea and the land. Now, this doesn't say this in the text, but I picture these guys saying, then why did you get on a boat? (laughs) You told us you were fleeing that God. So you're telling us now this God is the God who created the the sea and the land, and you thought to flee from him, I'm going to get on a boat. Like, why? That doesn't make sense. What is this that you have done to us? Why have you done this to us, they say? Like, you could have done that on your own. The sea was known to be a place of danger and peril, and that's where Jonah tries to escape to. Uh, One of the questions that we're going to come to today is, um, what is it that you are running from? I think all of us are running from something. All of us are running from God in some way or another. There's a direction that we know we should be going with our life, or there's a part of our life that we know we should give over to God, and something keeps pulling us in the other direction. We know that, that, that if we really took God seriously and faith seriously, something would pull us in this direction, but we say, you know, but I really want to hold on to that, and I'm going to head this direction instead. And what happens is that rarely makes sense, and, but sometimes it takes a voice on the outside to look at that and say, do you, do you realize uh, that, that what you're doing now doesn't really match up with what you're saying? 
you're fleeing from the God who created the sea on the sea, you realize the, the, the breakdown in logic there, right? Uh, running from God rarely makes logistical sense, but sometimes it takes a voice from the outside to call us out on that. Uh, and so the, the sailors are now trying to figure out what to do. Uh, Jonah's already told him that he's fleeing to, to get away from the presence of the Lord. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Remember, they were all calling out to their own gods. Now they call out to Yahweh God. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not uh, on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men, the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, the end of this verse, the chapter then, is that it says, And the Lord appointed the great fish. So here's the fish. Uh, and Jonah swimming in the water. We actually have a, a piece for that. Um, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, I think the question that this part of Jonah invites us to ask is, as I said earlier, I think I've got space for this here. Um, what are you running from? Jonah's running from something. Uh, we know he's fleeing God up to this point of the story. He hasn't quite told us yet what it is exactly that he's running from. All we know is that he's fleeing God. Um, and again, it's a way of beautifully laying out the story because Jonah doesn't tell us why at the beginning. The author doesn't tell us why at the beginning. Uh, but the author comes back to it at the end. We don't know for sure whether, again, there's a lot of different thoughts on the dating of Jonah, on, on who wrote it, a lot of different stuff that, that we may get into more as we go along. Um, but I want to kind of close with this this morning. Because at the end of Jonah, we are told why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. We're left with some questions at the beginning. What is it that Jonah is running from? Why is he fleeing God? Uh, is it because he's scared of what Nineveh, the Ninevites will do to him? Uh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Uh, Assyria is a terrible, 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 terrible place. Uh, the Assyrians are known for their brutal ways of killing their enemies. Uh, they were experts, for instance, in removing skin from their victims without killing them uh, in order to delay the torture. Uh, they liked to uh, decapitate people and have their family members uh, parade their heads on poles just to humiliate the families. These are terrible, terrible, terrible people. We would refer to Assyria as a terrorist state. And so it's easy to understand why Jonah would balk at wanting to go to Nineveh. Maybe he's afraid for his own life. We can, we can make some assumptions at the beginning of the book, but we are told at the end of the book. So turn to chapter 4. We're going to come back to chapter 4 at the end of the series, but I want us to begin here because I think it gives us some good insight into Jonah and into part of why this book has relevance. So Jonah ends up eventually going to Nineveh. We'll come back to all this, as I said. Uh, he's successful. This whole terrible, wicked place repents. They turn to God. This should be the greatest 
uh, triumph of any prophet of God. He has convinced this terrorist, this capital of a terrorist state to quit their violence and repent and turn to God. It may be short-lived, as we'll see later, uh, but he has at least convinced these people to do that. This should be a moment of triumph for Jonah, but the ch- chapter 4 begins this way. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. This is a terrible example of prayer. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? In other words, they've had a conversation about this before Jonah left that we didn't know at the beginning of the book, but now we're getting some insight to. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah cannot stand the thought of the Ninevites repenting and being shown grace. So much so that he would rather flee the other way So much so, when he realizes the error of his ways out on this boat, he says, you know what? Just kill me. (laughs) I know what I did wrong, but I'd rather die out here in the ocean than repent and turn and do what God told me to do. So why don't y'all just kill me and let's get this over with? Um, Which, again, is sort of easy for us to understand. Imagine being sent to a terrorist state and saying, why don't you go and try to preach to them? Uh, The Assyrians had been enemies of of the Jewish people for generations. And not long after this, future Assyrians will come and capture um, and lead into captivity the Israelite people. These are bad people. And so Jonah decides, I'd rather just not go there. Which gets us back to how Jonah introduces himself. Who is Jonah? Jonah introduces himself as, I am a Hebrew and I serve God, Yahweh. And in Jonah's worldview... God, Yahweh, is meant for the Hebrews. God is the God of the Hebrews, not the God of the Ninevites. God is the God of us, not the God of them. And when I start thinking that God is the God of us, not the God of them, the thought of taking my God to them threatens us. It threatens the way that I view God. It threatens the way that I view church. It threatens the way that I view the kingdom. If God can be the God of them too, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? You see, Jonah may very well be thinking, I'm actually preserving the Israelite nation here. Because what if I go and, and preach to them and they repent? Maybe eventually they'll come back and kill us, which sort of happens. Uh, what if I go and, and, and preach to them and God relents and they repent, but Israel at this time and, and the part of, of Israel that he is living in, they're not exactly doing so hot. Uh, they're not really following God's commands. How is it going to look for, for our people if we're not living by God's commands, but these terrible, sinful Ninevite people repent? How's that going to look to us? What's, our, what, what's that going to mean for the way that we look? It's going to make us look bad. Uh, Going to Nineveh threatens many things for Jonah, and he says, you know what, I'd just rather not. Jonah is running from a vision and a version of God that is too expansive for what he's ready for. Uh, Jonah knows a lot about God. Jonah can quote scripture. He would have gotten all the answers right in Bible class, uh, but he has not allowed the message of God to infiltrate his heart. It has remained at, at head level. 
And I think what we find is that sometimes if we are only armed with knowledge and it doesn't get into our heart, knowledge can actually be harmful. We can begin to weaponize our knowledge. We can begin to weaponize scripture and use it as a means uh, for dehumanizing others, for marginalizing others, for pushing others away and saying, nope, God is for our circle and the rest of them can take care of themselves. And throughout the book, God is calling Jonah, and God is calling Israel, and God is calling us to ask ourselves questions like, what is it that you are running from? Uh, what is it that you're afraid to see about yourself? What is it that you're afraid to give over to God? And are you willing to expand your circle in the way that the message of Jesus and the gospel message um, expands it? This is a message that Jesus will pick up on in his ministry as Jesus goes out and tries to expand the circle, and he still gets opposition from Jewish people. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I was sent to bring in all of these people. I was sent to go out and to bring in the marginalized, the poor, the lame, the blind, all of these people, and bring them in, because the kingdom is for them just as much as it is for you. We talked about this in Mark, that, that outsiders in the gospel of Mark become insiders because the message in the gospel is for outsiders just as much as it is for insiders. And oftentimes it's the insiders who fail to realize the grace and mercy of God. Uh, this story on one level is about the, the grace and mercy that God shows to the terrible place of Nineveh. But more impactful to me is the grace and mercy that he shows to Jonah. Because Jonah is a guy that should have everything figured out, and he doesn't. And God is exceedingly patient with him. The grace that he shows to Jonah, to me, is more impactful than the grace that he shows to a people who don't know him and repent when they hear of him. Because Jonah should know everything and should be doing right, and God is just as gracious and merciful um, and loving and patient with him. And praise God, he is patient and merciful and loving with us as we try to figure out how do I, do I live in this world and align my mind and my heart, and my soul, and my strength with God's, so that I quit fleeing to Tarshish whenever things come up that make me uncomfortable. Um, we're going to share in the communion meal this morning, as we are reminded of Jesus who gave himself for us, and invited all of us, regardless um, of our background, of our origin story, of our nationality, of our race, gender, whatever it may be, into the kingdom and into relationship with him. And praise God we have that invitation through Jesus. And praise God that we have stories of people like Jonah who remind us and call us to question, um, is my circle a little too narrow? Is my view of God too narrow? How can I have an expansive view of a loving, merciful um, God who is merciful to me and is merciful to others? And so we're going to remember uh, Jesus uh, around communion this morning. We're going to sing as we get into that. So uh, Chris, Van, if you want to come back up here, and Aiden, if you can come help me grab this. Uh, we'll sing together um, and then pray our prayer of confession together uh, before we share in the communion meal this morning. So if you would stand as we sing together.
together and I'll pray the parts on top and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. 
May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.